sometimes we're overwhelmed and someone offers to help, but we feel compelled to say, no, thank you, I'm fine, when we're really not. Today, we're talking with Amanda Waddell, and she's going to give us a pep talk on why you should accept help. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and we're talking today about why you should accept help, and we're going to get a great pep talk from Amanda Woodell. She's a Catholic convert, a mother to five children aged 11 to 3, a slipshod housekeeper, an enamored wife, and a good enough homeschooler who happens to believe that the circumstances of her life, both good and bad, are pregnant with grace. Read more thoughts on faith and parenthood at her blog, inaplaceofgrace.com. Welcome, Amanda. Good to have you with us. Lisa, it's good to see you. Thanks. Oh, you're so welcome. This is a really interesting topic, asking for help, and it has to do with a topic that I know is really important to you around building community and how asking for help or accepting help can cause that to happen. Step us into why that's important to you. Well, when we think about people helping and someone being helped, we think about the person who offers to help. That's the one who's doing the good act, right? But I argue that it's the one who accepts the help that is also being doing an act of charity and building community. And I think people feel, my experience, people feel more comfortable offering help and much less comfortable accepting help. It's so true. We're so embarrassed if we're not living up to these standards that we have in our heads about what our day is supposed to look like, our kids are supposed to look like, our households, whatever they are. Gosh, what is that? (laughs) Satan's biggest uh, tactics with us is isolation, right? And so that's just another way to just keep us away from one another. Because if you come together and you live your life together, you're building community. You know, the Bible says, you know, we're two or more are gathered. There I am also. I never really understood that until I thought when you're not with someone, you're not, um, you're not connecting in the same way that um, you do when you're, you're with someone. And so I can even tell you specifically how it's changed my life. Yeah, please do. I was a young mom. I had three kids at the time. I think they were like four, three and six months maybe. And there was a woman from church I had borrowed a DVD from. And she came by the house to pick up the DVD because I had not gotten it back to her, right? This is the life of a young mom. Now, my perception, I did not know her well at all. And my perception of her, she was a daily mass attendee. I think she was sacristan at the time. She just seemed like someone who had it all together. Her kids, I know she homeschooled her kids. They were growing, maybe high school about that time. And she comes and sees me. We're outside in the driveway and she looks at me and she really says compassionately, ah, you're in the under five tunnel. Would you like me to stay a while? I did not know what the under five tunnel was. So I had to ask her first. And she said, oh, it's when you've got no one to talk to. And here I thought I could either, I guess no adult to talk to. I thought I could say like in a flash, oh no, we're going to go to the lap sit at the library later. And then we're going to go to the co-op. We're so busy. Thank you anyway. Or I could give her basically my fiat, which was, yes, please, (laughs) please. I would love to have someone to talk to. I would love to take a shower. I would love any kind of adult interaction. So she stayed that day. And I'm going to tell you, it was awkward. 
as it can be when you don't know someone very well. But she came back. That's the main thing. She offered to come back. And I said, yes. And she offered to come back. And I said, yes. And she's been coming to my house weekly, basically free for five years now. Wow. She's a godmother to my last child. Huh. It's just, it's just changed. It's changed my life. It's changed her life. And it's even changed our parish. And it really hinged on that one moment where she asked and I said, yes. And I'm not going to act like it's because I'm so humble. I was really desperate. <laughs> Sometimes God gets us to that position of just loneliness. And you think, yeah, I would really like some help right now. Thank you. And what is that spiritual moment of saying out loud to another person, yes, I need help? I don't think I was that clear, quite honestly. And I viewed it at the time as an act of hospitality, because if there's anything my mother taught me is if someone wants to stay at your house, you say yes. So at the time, it's not like I was even, I don't think even that humble, but being willing to just let someone come into my space and my life that is, I suppose, an act of humility, but maybe not one I would have chosen at that time. <laughs> it was really my, my sense that an act of hospitality, I did not want to miss out on that, that made the difference for that interaction. And what kinds of differences did it make? What were the fruits of that fiat? Well, as I mentioned, she's a godmother to my daughter. She has a history, she's got background as a nurse and as a doctor, a physician. So she hasn't kept up her whatever you need, licensure, whatever, since she raised her own kids. But she still has that knowledge. So I call her about everything. I should back up and say, my own mother's passed away. My mother-in-law has passed away. I have no sisters. So she is like a surrogate mom to me in the sense that I don't know how to clean a cushion. I honestly ask her. <laughs> I've got a kid who really did just fracture her elbow this week. I call her. When my father was passing away, I called her and she came and took care of my kids for me. She watches my kids. Like if I need to go, I want to go on a retreat. I call her. So that has been the way it's blessed me. She's introduced me to kind of ways of talking to my kids that I hadn't realized. I mean, I never even thought of. So let me give you an example. One day I was off because I told you I get to go away for like five hours once a week. My second born, Eli, he was, he had a dining room chair and he was stacking like a doll stroller and on top of that, a folding chair and on top of that, you know, a ball. I don't know. He was trying to get his big tower to basically touch our ceiling, which we have tall ceilings. Instead of just saying, no, that'll fall over. You'll get hurt. Here's what she said. She said, that is not what those things are ordered toward. When I came home, she told me about it and kind of laughed because he's kind of a little philosopher. He likes thinking deeply. Because I gave him something to think about. And I thought, that is brilliant. Because why can't I climb the walls like a ninja warrior? Because that's not what it's ordered toward, honey. Throw this truck across the room. That's not what it's ordered toward, dear. It answers so many of those questions for children about why I can't do something. And at the same time, gives them the idea that the world is structured and the world is ordered and the world has meaning. And those are ideas that are being lost in contemporary culture. I mean, that's why, for example, our bodies no longer tell us who we are, according to contemporary culture, not according to theology. They're going to get a lot of that kind of thinking from the culture. So the fact that she brought in this kind of, you know, backdoor Catholic theology to my kids, mm. 
use it. I use it all the time. And so for about two or three months, this is a conversation we would have. Like, no, dear, uh, that chair is not ordered to that. But we also made it into a game. We would say, I'm thinking of something that is ordered toward giving a shape. And they would have to guess what it was. You might say, be silly. Is spaghetti ordered toward putting on your head? You can do this with anything. Yes, yes. And giggle and say, no, of course not. Or sometimes <laughs> I would say, you know, what is a painting order toward? That's an interesting question, isn't it? You can get a very good conversation with that. And it gets those little philosophical wheels in your son's head going and the other children too. And I imagine, have there ever been times when they've surprised you with an ordered toward question or comment? You know, they do it to each other now. So we only did this for two or three months, like many things in your motherhood. They kind of blooms, blossoms, and you forget about it. I'm telling you, three years later, my older child will say to my younger child, no, it's not ordered toward that. Don't do that. That's not what it's ordered toward. And I think, that's amazing. <laughs> So when they get older, we can talk about maybe like secondary uses. But for me, the main point is our world has meaning and structure. And uh, it's important. Like we can even talk about it in our bodies. So like, what are my eyes ordered toward? Eventually, we're going to get to what our reproductive organs are ordered toward. It's going to make that make so much more sense. Oh, that's beautiful. And so this is out of that little fiat, out of that act of hospitality, this person enters your life and look at the ripple effect. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing. And then, you know, I, I asked her lately, you know, what kind of bashfully, like, so, you know, you keep coming back. <laughs> what has this blessed you? And she's not, she's not someone who expresses um, emotions to me anyway, very much. And so she, she actually answered me and I was surprised, but here's what she said to me. You know, she told me some other, some blessings. Like I love to be around kids. I get to see the world through their eyes. I enjoy teaching because that's the other thing. She's my home, my kid's homeschool science teacher because she this background. So she does that for me. Um, but she says two, two other things. She's got a much greater sense of community and fellowship with not just us, but with my group of friends who now call her if they need help. We have like a mom's group that I started. She comes and helps with childcare with that. But here's what she said, other. I feel that we are family. And it's deeply touching to see the kids trust me, come to me, and ask deep questions. Oof. Wow. Wow, wow is right. So, yeah. This beautiful gem of a woman who stepped into a situation who saw a need and was welcomed into your home. And the blessings flow in both ways. It's really interesting. I almost want to call it accidental community. Like you've, you've built this sense of community. And you just said also that your friendships with other people have now connected her to that community. It was hard because she then, we just we originally were in my driveway, but then she came in and she saw my house every week. And I'm sure their moms out there and dads have small children and the house is a wreck. And I, there would be times I would be tempted, especially because I said she didn't naturally kind of encourage me verbally. Um, or tell me how important this was to her, where I would be tempted to be like, forget it. She, I don't need her to come over because I'm so embarrassed that my house was a wreck. And I felt like week after week after week, she showed up and saw my house a wreck. But, you know, there, there was something in me that realized that that was pride. and That was not a healthy reason. <laughs> but it has been so rewarding. And it has changed our lives, her life, and 
the life of at least um, a portion of our parish. I've had people say to me that they've noticed a change in her since she's come to my house. I don't know. I don't know what exactly, but I think in just her, how she lights up when she sees her family. It's lovely. Absolutely lovely. Have there, has there ever been a time when you've actually asked for help? Oh, isn't that another question altogether? <laughs> That's what I've been saying. Sure, you can help me. There was, actually, and that is kind of an amazing story, too. Again, I was, boy, I think maybe I was pregnant with my third, the same time in my life, maybe. And my husband was working full-time. I was working part-time. He was going to college part-time to finish his degree. I'm pregnant with my third child. And as I mentioned, we don't have any relatives to help us. And um, my kitchen was just, it was not just a mess. The smell was so overpowering, it was making me sick. So I was really fearful, like, I don't even think I can go in there. You know, first trimester, not So hard. What are you going to do? And so there's like, um, we had um, Christ Renews His Parish at our church, which is like a men's and women's retreat thing. And then you can go on team. So I had an email. Maybe I just got an email from someone from this like email list. And I thought, you know what? We were still, we had just gone through CHIRP. We'd been on team. I thought, I'm just going to email and see if someone will come do my dishes for me. And I was really desperate. <laughs> a lot of times it takes to get to that moment of desperation, but I really was just tired. So I emailed and I said, you know, I'm sorry, I've got these dishes. Could anyone just come do them for me? Because it's just the smell is so bad. And a man that I did not know was on the list, his name was Don. I did not know he was on that email list, emailed me within minutes and said his wife and he would be there with rubber gloves, just tell him. Well, I was mortified because I did not intend for it to go to the 60-something-year-old man. Um, (laughs) What came out of that is actually someone else came by and did it. I had multiple people offer to help me. But that man's wife, he and I then became friends because I loved him. What kind of 60-something-year-old man says, sure, let me come wash your dishes? And I loved him. But when, then when his wife passed away, my son, the one who had been in utero, and I went to her viewing to support him in his grief. And that never would have happened if I had not asked for help. And then, of course, if he had not sprung to action. My point here is that um, asking for help builds humility in yourself, but it builds community. And I think both, how could you go wrong? (laughs) Like, those are both such great um, benefits or fruits, let's say. I do want to encourage them. I mean, we all need help. I think what sense does it make for us all to say, yeah, I need a savior, but then to refuse to accept help from his people. It makes no sense. We live in this culture where we all pretend that we're doing better than we are. When we could actually just be real and be together. And being real gives other permission to be real too. And so, like you said, the devil uses isolation to separate us from that love, to give us a lack of confidence in Christ's saving love. Because we're not, we're not allowing other people to be his hands and feet and his voice in our lives. I, I liken it to, I sometimes speak to seniors, and we have my 96-year-old mother-in-law living with us, and we love her very dearly, and she's a blessing to us. But her acceptance of our help, of, bringing, of being able to bring her into our home, has greatly blessed us and has sanctified our family life with those daily acts of service and, and also finding ways to receive service from her, you know, to allow her to still be of value to us as a family community. And so you just see that that it's exactly what you just said. How can we say that we believe in a Savior and not let him 
step into our lives through other people. It's beautiful. So I have a couple, I mean, thoughts on the matter. If someone, if someone asks you for help or asks to help you, the answer is yes. The answer is always yes. Then you can find something. So, I mean, I've had someone offer to help me who um, may not have just felt really comfortable leaving a baby with, right? But she really wanted to help me. And she mentioned a couple times. So I just asked her to come over and watch the kids while I clean the kitchen. You can say yes in some way. So the second point I'd like to just remind people is God will send help, but it may not be the help you want. It may not be the help that you um, thought you would like to have. So for example, I would love to have my mother back or my mother-in-law. I don't. I tend to get, God sends me this beloved, wonderful mishmash of retirees or people who um, never got married who come and help me. And it can be a little socially awkward, but it's, it's who he sends. He sends these people because they need me and I need them. And I think not having a biased eye ahead of time will help you recognize that. I love that. I, you know, there's, I love that you started with the idea of hospitality because that is really a fundamental virtue in all of this. The community happens when there is that hospitality, that willingness to let people come in and see our real lives. And, and, and I love that idea too, that it may not be, God may not send the person you expected or hoped for. I love the idea of entertaining angels unaware that we are not angels, but we can be angelic in the sense of bringing that message of God's love to another person and, and receiving that message. How wonderful to have our, our desire to help be received and how we discover ourselves in those acts of being other Christs in the world. It really is a blessing in both directions in a big, big way. Well, and I think one thing to be aware of is like, what are the challenges to accepting help? Like, why is it that I don't want to? Maybe doing a little examination of conscience is appropriate here. Because I've I run, like I mentioned, this mom's group, wonderful group of women. And we've talked about this before. And they'll even acknowledge it. I mean, I'm not saying anything they wouldn't say themselves. But there's an element of pride, right? I don't want people to see what a mess I am or that my house is a mess. And that can be true with me, too. I always think to myself, would I rather sin against charity or let someone see my, <laughs> see my messy house? But that's the element of control. That's kind of what I hear the most. Like, oh, it's just easier if I do it myself, right? It's just faster or I just like it the way I do it. And you sometimes don't even hear that with my friends, like talking about their husbands loading the dishwasher. <laughs> he doesn't do it right. <laughs> he doesn't do it my way. But just, um, there are obstacles, definitely. And it's worth pondering is there anything here that I need to repent of or let go of, you know, in order to, to allow God to do his work in my life? Yeah, someone I love very, very dearly, someone close to me and my extended family is going through the 12 steps with Alcoholics Anonymous. And she says that in step four, they have to write out every little resentment, every, you know, area of resistance to other people because they, the, the, the idea is that if you have a problem with someone, you have a problem. And I love that, that idea of where am I resisting? Where is my pride popping up and stopping me? And the, it occurred to me too that when we accept help, we accept the person, as you said, that that person who may want to help like may not be the right person to leave your baby alone with, but then you can have that reciprocal act of charity of thank you, of affirming that other person's gift of generosity. But also you take a risk when you let somebody into your life of them needing something from you too. 
And that's very real. That's community right there. That's us being, you know, if contemplation is being soul naked before God, then I think community in a way is being life naked <laughs> before each other. It's sort of like community and contemplation. We have to get real. Absolutely. You're so right. <laughs> All right. Well, any closing thoughts, Amanda, about this whole, it's like the symbiosis and like any other benefits you want to throw out there or words of encouragement to those of us, including myself and you, as you've said, struggling with this idea of asking for help or receiving help when it's offered? Well, I think, um, you know, getting back is I think back about what we were talking about with that order toward game, you can think of as friendship being ordered toward service, friendship is maybe ordered toward community. And if you think of it that way, that what it's ordered toward the gift of self. That's what it is. And I was thinking about how you know love has a distinct definition. Thank the Lord through the Catechism that it's willing the good of the other. So even love is ordered toward willing the good of the other. So these are things maybe to absorb into kind of the way we think about our lives and our community that the best gift we can do as a friend is to give ourselves, right? And accept other people's gift of self. And also if we want to love one another, we need to will the good of the other. And sometimes that means letting people into your life. Like you were saying before, that when we're comfortable to just kind of keep everyone at a distance. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. All of our uh, electronics and just these social constructs that have gradually grown up where we don't, we don't get to see anything but the avatar or the carefully curated and color adjusted and cropped photos unless we allow ourselves to get our hands dirty and, and just be in the world. And well, just going along with what you said, I, this mom's group, I, I, you, I hope it's okay if I mention this, that I write for the catholicmom.com. Oh yeah, absolutely. We want people to be able to find you there. And I have a, there's a lovely young mom there. I just think she's lovely, but um, she's definitely part of the iGeners. She's grown up only with smartphones and Google. And so I will maybe offer, I, I try not to offer advice unsolicited, but on a topic maybe that we're already talking about, kind of in, offer my perspective. And she will quote people from catholicmom.com. And I think, I don't, but I write for them. I'm right here. <laughs> in front of you like let's it's almost and I've noticed this and it's because I'm getting older and things are changing and that's fine but what I'm noticing is um maybe a tendency to go to google or go to catholicmom.com and get your answers and come to a meeting or a group totally composed I know the answer I've already got it as opposed to kind of walk through this life together and find out those answers together Right. So balancing online community, which is certainly valuable, where we get to be together in a particular way, with allowing ourselves still to be open to each other. Just tell us a little bit, too, about how this mom's group came about, just briefly, as we're kind of wrapping up. Amanda, I know that's a lot to ask of you, but it kind of did come out of this situation with your allowing yourself to be helped, didn't it? And now you're helping other moms. The same girl that I just talked about, who's lovely, and she just moved to the parish, and she asked, do we have a mom's group? It was a very, I'd, I'd invited her over because I had noticed her with young children at mass. Do you want to come over, over for a play date? Do we have a mom's group? And I thought, uh, we should, shouldn't we? Like, we are, we are a pro-family, pro-life Catholic parish. Of course we should have a mom's group. So anyway, it came out of that. And so I ended up kind of trying to find someone to 
do it. And it turns out the Lord apparently had me in mind. (laughs) Gotcha. We meet every other week and the kids play and we get together and talk about um, some topics. And it's even that has been a blessing because we're there together. Beautiful. So there you go again, friendship and active service and willing the good of the other and reaching out to that mom in the parish, recognizing that her time in life might be that five-year tunnel that you were in not so long ago. Oh, Amanda, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I feel like you step into this kind of sparkly place when we're touching on something that is true, that is a gift from God, especially when when it's in a time of a little bit of darkness around the topic, right? It shines all the more brightly. And I thank you for bringing this topic to us. I think it's a unique one and one that we really need in our times. Well, thanks for having me. I just, I would love to give everyone listening a hug and say, you know, be, we love you, you know, despite, despite what you think that does not measure up in yourself and that is untrue. You are, you are good enough. We love you. Oh, amen and amen. And everybody go to inaplaceofgrace.com to find Amanda Woodell. And on and her last name is Woodell, W-O-O-D-I-E-L. And you can find her at catholicmom.com as well as her blog, inaplaceofgrace.com. Thank you again. And everybody, please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hello, my homeschooling friend. I'm Celeste Behe, and this is Story Strands. You know, storytellers have filled many roles throughout the centuries. They have served as relayers of news, upholders of morals, and carriers of culture. And before history was ever written down, storytellers were responsible for preserving history through word of mouth. Stories are the perfect medium for teaching history. If you incorporate storytelling into your homeschool curriculum, you will be carrying on an ancient and highly valued tradition. And you and your children will be having a grand old time, because historical stories can be fun to tell and fascinating to hear. Just don't do what I did. Ten years ago, as a brand new member of the public speaking organization known as Toastmasters, I decided that I would deliver a speech about St. Maximilian Kolbe. So I stood before the members of my club and told them everything about St. Maximilian. Wikipedia style. Let's just say that my story didn't win over any of the non-Catholics in the group. But several years later, I told the story a second time, and it was a hit. Why? Because I'd made three fundamental changes. Number one, the story focused on a single event in St. Maximilian's life. I gave some background on the saint's habitual practice of self-denial, but I talked mostly about the saint's final sacrifice of his own life in place of another man's. Number two, the story had an actual plot. Instead of a ramble of people, places, and things related to St. Maximilian, I told a story that had the setting of a concentration camp a conflict of good and evil, only a few characters and a simple sequence of events. Number three, the characters in the story had some life. Instead of simply identifying the players and talking about their actions, 
I helped the audience see and hear the characters using description and dialogue. With those few changes, a story that had been dull and unfocused became engaging, easy to follow, and memorable. I took the lessons I learned at Toastmasters and applied them in my homeschool curriculum, but you don't have to go out and join a club in order to become a storyteller. It's easy to bring history to life in your homeschool. When telling tales of historical events, just remember to follow these three rules of story spinning. Make it focused, make it simple, and make it lively. I'm Celeste Behe, and this is Story Strands. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.